urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Be bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. How are you all today? Good? I have the pleasure of talking about One Faith today. And it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about, and especially passionate about us getting it. And that is because we live in an incredibly individualistic society. We go to, when I go on a mission trip to somewhere like Thailand, they do community in a very different way. There are no fences. There are no distances between the houses. They tend to share everything. They grow the crops in the backyard and everyone has dibs on the different vegetables. There's a real sense of beautiful, unified community. But unfortunately, what I see in the West, our fences are actually getting taller with time. We like our privacy. And as a result, in our culture, I believe that people have become more segregated, more divided, and also more private. We keep to ourselves, and sometimes we hide behind social media. This identity that's fabricated of the ideal image and life that we want people to see within us. But yet, Scripture shares of a whole new different way of living, one that isn't individualistic, that isn't segregated, but it speaks of one that is unified. And I believe so strongly that if we are to grow up into the image in which God has created for us, which is in his image, We need to be in community. Why? Because we are made in the image of God. And God is what? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In perfect unity together. So if we are to be in God's image, in other words, we are created to be a part of each other in a faith community. Unfortunately, we look across the world, and if you know anything about church history, it's rather heartbreaking. It speaks about division, people arguing over doctrinal differences, people judging the other neighbor because they express their faith slightly differently than us. But if you look at the scripture, and Larry touched on it last week so beautifully in John 17, I love this verse this passage, because Jesus is about to die. He's about to be hung on the cross for all the sins of humanity. 
He's about to die an excruciating death, and he knows it. So Jesus prays to the Father. And if I was Jesus, if I was Jesus and I knew that I was going to die, I would be crying out to God with what was most deep and important within my heart. So John 17, Jesus prays for three things. He prays, first of all, for himself, that he will be glorified. Secondly, he prays for his disciples because he knows that he's going to leave his disciples and he's going to go to the Father. So he prays for his disciples. But then the third group of people, who does Jesus pray for? It says in John 17 that he, I don't just pray for them, but I pray for all who will believe through their testimony. In other words, Jesus was praying for us. And that is incredibly powerful. It wasn't just the community in which he was in. He was praying, looking down through history, all the people that would believe in his name through the disciples. And he prays, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. And if Jesus prayed those prayers, if Jesus asked the Father in this moment of utter desperation or rawness, I personally believe that it will come true. I believe that there is, will one day be a time in which the church of God across the globe will be unified, one before he returns. What an amazing picture. And I believe that the devil doesn't want this. Do you know why? Because unity is powerful. You take one drop of water, it doesn't do much, right? But if you take a collective, thousands, billions of water together, what does that cause? A flood. Similarly, in the ocean, you take one drop of water, doesn't mean much, right? It will dry up. But collectively, you have an ocean. There is power when believers come together with one faith, believing in the one Father, which is God, through Jesus Christ. So it is my prayer for us today as we look into Ephesians 4, the first part, which is just a very small part of the passage. I encourage you to read the rest by yourself. Let's have an open heart and open mind in terms of how we can bring our community in a deeper way together under the one faith. So we're going to look at three things. First of all, we're going to look at what has divided our faith. Number two, we're going to look at faith, what unifies us in our faith, and that's through Ephesians 4. And the third thing I want us to look at is how do we get it? How do we get that one faith that Jesus talks about? So first point, what has divided us? So I want to explain to you something. Every person in here has a lens in which we view the world. And this is influenced by our upbringing. It's influenced by our culture, our teachers, our family, our friends, our community. And how we interpret different objects, events, and people is through that lens. So Johnny from China 
might have rose-colored lens. So he might look at the same object, but see it as a different, in a different perspective. As opposed to, let's say, Jeremy, who has a different colored lens based on how he's been brought up. He'll see this in a different color. Same object, but different perspective. And I want us to turn our attention to what is called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And it is said that every denomination views faith through one of these lens dominantly. So I'll just go through it and I'll explain, it'll make sense in the end. So first of all, we have the tradition stream. The tradition stream, they're people who value the traditions of faith. They will follow it to a T because they believe, they believe that through these acts of physical acts, it brings about a spiritual reality that is deep and connected to God. And, but the thing is, we know that if you do tradition without the life, it just becomes empty acts, right? So some of these examples are worship. Us as a church, we come together voices, but if we take away the meaning behind it, what is it? Empty words, right? And also in Jesus, he actually also teaches us traditions. So there's baptism. That's a tradition. We are born into the family of God and we do this act that demonstrates our faith in him. Communion, we just said communion, that is a tradition as well. Offering, for example, it is so good to give into the work of the church and what God is doing, not just locally, but globally as well. So tradition stream, although when we choose to take the life out of it, it's empty. It's actually instructed, there are instructions by Jesus, and it's not necessarily bad. So you have some churches that have a very strong tradition worldview. Second one reason, these are people that love their debates, their apologetics. They love talking about church history. They look into the apocryphas, they look into the ancient texts, they might dive into the Gnostic Gospels. And these people are important because we live in a secular world and you need somebody that can explain the ins and outs and how faith relates to the outside world. Creationism, people that love to look into the creation and science that God has created. So you have schools of people that believe in that and that are passionate about that and it is good. But if it becomes just an intellectual exercise, then it's not very balanced, is it? And is that the faith in which God desires his people to have? Scripture, it is people that are in the scripture stream believe that scripture is the first authority of God. It is the instruction manual for God, it, from God. It is a love letter from God. And it is through scripture in which we grow and we expand our world and our behavior and all that. And then there's the experience stream. And the experience stream are people that believe in growing in God and experiencing God's love for themselves. 
listening to God, seeing miracles, signs and wonders. They want to see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a very practical way. Now, the experienced stream often look at the traditional stream and think they're very conservative. And unfortunately, those in the scripture stream often look at the experienced stream and they see that path as being ungrounded in the depths of the word of God. All of them are actually important in the functioning of a healthy body in Christ. And the devil wants to keep us divided. I wanna ask you for a second, which one are you? Because there'll be two strengths. Most people have two strengths and two, I guess not weaknesses, but two that are kind of behind. Which one are you? I know for myself, it's scripture and experience based on my background. So for me, I've had to really take time and spend time in the traditions that Jesus has put into place. We only have one faith. The dividing core of Christian faith was revealed in scripture. It was illuminated by tradition, vivified in personal experience, and confirmed through reason. It's important for all of them and all of them are vital dimensions or expressions of what it means to follow Christ. So number two, these are things unfortunately that have divided the body of Christ. What are things that unify us? Let's take a look at that. And I love the worldview expressed through Ephesians 4, one to six. So it says here, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. See, every believer has been called by God and called for a purpose. And what Paul is saying, are you living a life worthy of the calling you have received? Now, the second part, two to three, we'll come back to that. But what I want us to do is jump to verse four to six, because here Paul explains what unifies us as Christ's people. So first of all, it says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And we are gonna look at these things in a little bit more detail. So first of all, one body. See, every Christian has a common denominator, no matter where you're from, no matter what age or nationality. And that is that we are all redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the head of the body and every part of the body has a role. And God has given us different giftings as Ben shared a little bit earlier. And it's to build the body of Christ. And just as every part of our physical body functions according to the desires of our brain, so it should be with Christ. So no matter what stream or worldview we're from, we have the one God, the one head, the one Jesus in which we're supposed to follow. 
And I love, and I love Mike Gore's example. I don't know whether you remember him. He's from Open Doors, the CEO. And he's, well, he hasn't been here at our church, but we've seen him on the screen a few times during, um, yeah, during, during our focus months. And Mike Gore shared something that really stuck with me one time. And he's been across the world and he's seen multiple, multiple, visited multiple, multiple communities of Christians who are persecuted in the name of Christ. And he tells me this story. He sees, he meets this pastor in this rural area with a community that had a community that was in persecution. And the pastor says to him something really interesting. He says, we see the body of Christ slightly different to you in the West. And Mike says to him, what do you mean? How do you guys see it? His response was, you guys see the body of Christ as arms, as legs, as knees, as feet, as a neck, as toes. But we see the body of Christ as marrow, as muscle, as blood. You see, we have the Catholics. They're like the bones, a bit rigid. They don't like to move very much, but they are vital for holding up the whole system of the body. Then you have the muscles, and they're like the Anglicans, slightly more flexible, but still not as pliable. And then what you have is the blood. The blood is like the Pentecostals. They are free-flowing and it's full of life, but all of them are needed for a body to actually work and function in a healthy way. So it is with the body of Christ and the different faith expressions that are around the world. Secondly, one spirit. So the spirit conforms us, we know, into the likeness of Christ. Every one of us in this room has the spirit of God living within their lives as soon as you believe. And it says in his word that the spirit, you know, there's many names. There's the spirit of adoption. There's a spirit of unity. There's a spirit of Christ. There's a spirit of reconciliation. And the Bible talks about living by the spirit and that the law of the spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, these are things that I'm expecting you have heard before. And the thing is, with us as the body of believers, we need to come and submit under the authority of the spirit of God. But unfortunately, this is sometimes what our lives look like. See, the Spirit of God is sealed within our lives. But unfortunately, our mind or our emotions take the engine room of the train. See, the most important part of the train is the engine room, the engine compartment, because the other carriages follow. I want to ask you, what is in the engine compartment of your life? When things get tough, does your mind take control? So you, do you wrestle with it through logic? Do you get emotional? Do you get angry? Or is the Spirit of God in control? One baptism 
Next one. Baptism, of course, represents a cleansing. You are no longer unclean, but clean to enter into the presence of God. And that is a beautiful picture that we all have. Because in the Old Testament, people would have to do it periodically in order to remain clean. But for us, when we believe, we get baptized into water. Traditionally, they cross their arms like this and they go into the water backwards. And why do they do that? Because baptism represents your funeral service. When you go into the water, you are one person. You are your old self. When you come out, you are a new creation through Christ Jesus. We have all been baptized individually, but into the one baptism, which is in Christ Jesus. One hope. And I'm not going to go into much detail of this because it talks, I was going to talk about the future that we have in God. And I believe that that's what Ben's going to talk about in two weeks. But we are called to a purpose. We have one hope and one future in Christ. And he will expand in that when the time comes. And last but not least is one Lord, one Father, and one God. We have been adopted by through the blood of Jesus, into the body and family of Christ. If you look to your neighbor, to your right and left, they are your family, they are your brothers, they are your sisters. And Larry spoke about that last week. So, are you living a life worthy of the calling you have received? Verse two to three. Be completely And Paul kind of answers his question in terms of how to live that unified life in verses two to three. He says, be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, be bearing one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So how does God, us, God's people, Become one in faith. Because I think we all agree that we should be one. But how? So these are some instructions from Paul. And he tells us here that we are supposed to be very intentional. Humility. I want you to ask yourselves, do I struggle with pride? Honestly. And uh, people have spoken to me about this before and they've said, you know, I don't think I struggle with pride or I feel that I'm just very confident. And what's the difference between confidence and pride? Isn't it a fine line? I don't actually believe that. Because if you think about it, what is pride? Pride is the need to be edified by others. Pride is the need for people to see our good works and praise us for what we've done. Pride is the need and it's, it's, it's being not able to bear other people rising above you and you start to compare yourself to others. That is the opposite of confidence. Because confidence means that you know your identity, that you don't need the validation of other people, 
that you are self-assured in who God has created you. So if you put them side by side, pride isn't, a, you know, it isn't two sides of the same coin as confidence. Pride is on the same side of the coin as insecurity. Some of the most prideful people I've ever met are also the most insecure because they need people to tell them that they are worth it. So do I struggle with pride? Am I quick to judge other people when there are differences between the way that people work, think, between their work ethic and my own? Am I insecure? Second thing, patience. Do I get angry easily? Am I impatient? Do I give people time? Do I have a gentle nature? And love. Do I love people? And I mean genuinely love people. Not out of convenience. Because I tell you what, I know a lot of people out there that are incredibly hard to love. Do I put conditions to my love? And do I love God? And we, I mean, we say that, but do we love God with every fiber of our being? And if I was perfectly honest, these things, humility, patience, love, if somebody asked me, I'd be like, yeah, you know, not, yeah, some of it. But if I was really honest to God, I would say that I struggle with all three in various aspects. Which one do you perhaps struggle with? And lastly, and I want to land with this, I think we all know that we should be patient. We all know that we should be humble. And we all know that we should love one another. I mean, we know it, we hear it, we see it, we see it in the word. But how? How do we do that? Like, how do we love people with a godlike love, especially when we have a selfish nature sometimes brewing within us? I believe it's through a change of worldview. And I want to ask you and just leave you with this one thought Is the Spirit of God in the engine room? Is the Spirit of God piloting your life? Because if the Spirit of God is in the engine room, then you will see a transformation in your life. Your emotions will then follow after, your mind will then follow after because God is in the driver's seat. It's actually not very complex. It's not about having a list of things that we need to do and tick off. It's about are we, our, is our heart surrendered completely to the Lord Jesus Christ? So John 17, 22. I have given them the glory that you have given me so that they will all be one. I look across this room now and I see such potential beauty in our differences And I believe that the Lord Jesus sees that as well. We might think differently. We might value different things in terms of our faith, but we are part of the one whole. 
when we go down the street and we see our neighbors down the road, different church, they are a part of that same body. Will you surrender your life once again to Jesus Christ? Put him in the engine room. The Holy Spirit is in there, but will you give him authority over your life? God has given us the same glory that he has given Jesus so that we can all be one, just as he is one with God. Let me pray. As individuals, Lord, we are but a drop, but together we are an ocean. We are powerful when we are in unity. Your word says that in unity there is strength, and through unity, the world will also believe in the way that we express our love for one another. Lord, I pray, Father, we can't control what happens on the outside. We can't control how other people think with other worldviews, but we can control how our heart responds right now. So I pray, Father, that we will surrender to you and that we will make sure that our life is governed first and foremost by the Spirit of God and everything else follows. We are all part of one team and we are living the one dream. And that dream is to glorify you and to see this world restored under your love and care. I pray for us today that this will be a fresh revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, we're gonna finish the service with the song In Christ Alone. Jess shared about Jesus being 